but we really felt God's help and strength. And I just want to say again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your faithfulness and prayer. It just meant so much to us. Can I just remind everybody to please turn off your cell phones, make sure there's nothing happening that way. I'd appreciate it so much. And again, we are working our way through our series on Cross Church Goes to Israel. Today we visit a place called Capernaum. It's a place that probably a lot of you are not familiar with. You may have heard the, the, the name Capernaum and not exactly sure what it's all about. Well, today you're going to know it. And if you come on our trip to Israel with us, then you will actually visit Capernaum and you will see probably, uh, you'll see the ruins of, of a synagogue that was probably visited, to, visited by Jesus. So that's really exciting. Um, but if you haven't signed up yet, we just want to encourage you to do that. Capernaum is a small town, as it was mentioned in the video, that is just to the northwest of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually on the Sea of Galilee. It was uh, an area that's been inhabited for some four to 5,000 years. So it's a very ancient area. There's not a lot of people living there now, um, but it is definitely a place uh, full of archaeological um, interest and ruins, so you'll, you'll, you'll want to see that if you're going on the trip. This little area was occupied, inhabited by fishermen, farmers, and people who did trade with the Romans and the Byzantiums. It's an area that you have heard of time and again in the New Testament. If you've read your Bible, you know what I'm talking about. It's mentioned because this is the place where Andrew and Peter came from. It was also the place where James and John came from, and also the tax collector Matthew. And this might be news to some of you, because most of us, when we think of where did Jesus come from, we say Nazareth. But the fact is, is that when Jesus started his ministry, he made Capernaum the center of his ministry. This was the place where he was stationed. This is where the Jesus' ministry's office was. And so uh, Capernaum was a place that was truly favored by God and experienced a lot of miracles. There's a lot of activities here. Jesus taught in the synagogue there. The people definitely knew who Jesus was. In fact, if you read Mark chapter 1, you'll discover that there, I mean, it reads like a shopping list of miracles that Jesus performed. And we'll talk about more of that in just a moment. But let's go over to the Gospel of Matthew. And again, if you know your New Testament, you know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they share many of the same stories, just from maybe a different angle. But Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gathers his disciples together, and he says, I'm going to send you out. I want you to go, and I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to go tell people about the kingdom of God. So it says in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples together, gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. They were going in the name of Jesus. Now what Jesus wants to do is he wants to make it clear to everybody that in fact the Messiah has come. Although he does not verbally declare it, he wants it to become obvious to the people as they see this multitude of miracles. Well, here's the problem. And it's a problem that I have seen for some 30 years in the ministry. These miracles are being performed. People are being delivered of evil spirits. People are being raised from the dead. People are seeing their illnesses healed. Uh, people are listening to the preaching of the word of God and they're, and they're hearing a teacher who teaches with uncommon authority. And yet, and yet, the people who love these miracles had absolutely no intention of repenting and turning to God. 
Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart this morning. Because every one of us here today loves to see a good miracle service where people are healed. Many of us love the idea that that God's still at work, that God still performs miracles. We want to see that. We want to experience it. We want to be part of that. But here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. Is that at the end of the day, what matters more than you receiving a miracle or even witnessing a miracle is that you have a right relationship with God. So we see Jesus extremely frustrated because these miracles are being performed, but these people are not repenting. What do we mean by repent? It's, it's, a, it's an old-fashioned term, but it simply means that whereas one time you're going this direction, when you repent, you turn around and you go in the other direction. That's what repentance is. And so whereas these people... Uh, are seeing the miracles, they're hearing the preaching, and they're going in this direction. Jesus wants to see them repent. He wants them to do an about face. He wants them to turn from their sin. He wants them to turn from their, their wicked ways. He wants them to turn to God and enter into the relationship with God that God requires, that God wants. But they're not doing it. Oh, they're, they're chasing after him. They're, they're, they're seeing the miracles. They're loving the miracles. And In fact, the Bible says that wherever Jesus went, there were crowds and crowds of people. They wouldn't leave him alone. Why? Because they loved the miracles. Now, many of us here today could say, yeah, that kind of maybe is a little bit like me. I love the miracles. I want to see see God do miraculous things. I love to hear about the miracles. But at the end of the day, the question is this. Are you prepared to repent? Are you prepared to change directions? Are you, repent, are you prepared to say, God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do? Because that's all that matters. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, it says that Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles. A lot of people are not familiar with this side of Jesus. They only know Jesus is just a great guy who does wonderful miracles and who loves us. You know, you'll hear people talk about the, you know, the, the, the man upstairs, cool dude, is Jesus. Okay, you know what? I got to tell you, that is such a load of baloney. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not the good old guy upstairs. He is the king of the universe. He is the Lord of lords. And the Bible says that someday every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus says this. After he'd done so many miracles, because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God, he says, what sorrow awaits you, Chorazin? That's one of the cities, one of the towns. What sorrow awaits you, Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago. They would have clothed themselves in burlap and thrown ashes on their heads to show their remorse. This morning I prayed for everyone who would be here today. And I prayed that the Spirit of God would speak to your heart and challenge you on the deepest levels. Because this morning, you didn't just show up to be entertained. 
You didn't show up today just to, to have a, a word that makes you feel good so that you can get through the week with some warm, fuzzy feelings. You came to church today to hear a pastor whose heart is passionate for his sheep. My desire, my longing is that every one of you would go deep in your walk with God. That your walk with God would not just be a mere religious formality, something that you go through once a week, but that you would learn what it means to truly walk with him and know the mind and the heart of God. Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And then we read in Matthew chapter 11, verses 23 to 24, look, look what it says. And you people of Capernaum, Remember, this is Jesus' hometown now. This is where Jesus is positioned to do his ministry. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No. Why would he ask that question? I'll tell you why, because Jesus is living there. Now, you would think that wherever Jesus was living, that, man, that would be the greatest place on earth to live, right? No. Will you be honored in heaven? No, you won't. No, you will go down to the place of the dead. In other words, Jesus is saying you're going to go to hell. Don't say the H word in church because it offends people nowadays, pastor. Leave that word out. Speak words that make people happy and cheerful. Don't remind them of what sin is all about and don't remind them about hell. Okay, but I have to because Jesus does. And my job at the end of the day is to make sure that I'm speaking the words of Christ. Someday I'm going to stand before God. I'm, I'm going to have to give an account for what I spoke to you. And whereas I would rather not bring up these uncomfortable subjects, I am compelled to because Jesus did. And Jesus says this, Capernaum, you will go down to the place of the dead. You're going to go. In fact, it says that in some of your Bibles, goes go down to Hades, to hell. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, anybody ever hear of Sodom and Gomorrah? Anybody remember that in the Old Testament this place was destroyed by fire from heaven because of the wickedness in those cities? And I challenge you to go to your Old Testament and look it up and see the sin that reigned in those cities. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. Now folks, these are extremely, extremely stern words and an extremely stern warning. It would, be, it would be wrong of me to quickly skip over this without allowing the Holy Spirit to allow this truth to sink deeply into your heart. God has been good to you. God has helped you. He has provided for you. He has done many miracles for you. And the question that God has for us today and the question that I have for you as your pastor is this. What does God have to do to get your attention? What must God do 
to get you to pay attention to what his spirit is saying to you. Jesus did all kinds of miracles. Mark chapter 1. Jesus stood up to speak in the synagogue, and the people were amazed. This is what the Bible says. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, unlike the teachers of the law. So in other words, they listened to the teachers of law, and for them it was, has anybody ever watched Peanuts and watched the, watched the characters as they're listening to the teacher talk? And what did the, how did the, what did the teacher say? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, blah. that's a blah, 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 blah. And that's basically what Jesus is well, what the scripture is telling us, that people are listening to the teachers of the law going blah, 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 blah. But when Jesus speaks, wow, suddenly the, the air is electric because Jesus is speaking as one who speaks the very word of God. He speaks, the Bible says, with authority. They'd never seen that before. They'd never heard this before. And they asked the question, who is he? Who is this man? who speaks truth with such authority. Where did he come from? And someone whispered, well, he lives actually in town here. Yeah, where did he come from before that? Uh, some place in the, in the hills, uh, Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Apparently, yes. Better watch this guy, see what he's got to say. Next thing you know, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, his, his mother-in-law is fevered and sick. And Jesus prays for her, and she's instantly healed, and word spreads. This woman, whose body is full of infection, fevered and sick, instantly healed. And, the, and the, we read that, that she gets up from her sickbed and makes lunch for everybody. Now, that's what I call a miracle. <laughs> One Sabbath, a demon-possessed man actually speaks to Jesus, knowing that he is the Son of God. Speaks out, and Jesus knows what, that it's the devil himself, and Jesus casts out a demon. And everybody's like, whoa, what's going on here? Even evil spirits listen to him. And still, people are not repenting. His reputation is so great that even one of the Roman centurions, who had nothing to do with the Judeans, the Judeans were the scum of the earth. They were truly low life, and there's no way on earth that any Roman would ever, ever bother spending any time talking to a Judean. But this Roman centurion, the sick, very ill servant, not knowing what to do, hears about Jesus, and he goes to Jesus and says, I know you can do it, would you? Jesus says, go on home. When you get home, you'll find he's well. Now, it's not just the Jews that know about Jesus. It's the Gentiles as well. Miracles, people. Miracles happening. Jesus is teaching in a house. He's the house is surrounded. The house is filled with people. These friends have got, got a, a friend who's very ill. He's a paralytic. He can't move. He can't do anything. And they scratch in their head trying to figure out how are we going to get our friend to Jesus. And we read in Mark chapter 1 that they dig a hole in the roof of the house. Uh, not exactly what you want people to do at your house. They dig a hole in the roof, and next thing you know, I mean, Jesus is teaching, and he's 
plaster crumbling, falling in his head, wondering what's going on up there. Next thing you know, he sees daylight. And then next thing you know, someone's being lowered through the, through the roof right at Jesus' feet. And you know the story. If you read your Bible, Jesus touches him and he's healed. Go. Your sins have been forgiven. Go. You've been healed. Word spreads. And still people are not repenting. Still people are not turning to God. They think this is really cool stuff, man. People are getting healed. Demons are being cast out. Jesus is teaching in a way that nobody's ever heard before. This is the coolest and the neatest and the most wonderful thing. But no one's repenting. No one's turning from, no one's turning from their sin. No one's turning back to God. And Jesus healed many more people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. There's even a leper. His body badly deformed by this disease that kills the nerves in your skin, and his fingers are worn down, and no doubt parts of his body are literally missing, chunks of flesh missing. That's this disease called leprosy. And the thing is, if you got leprosy, Folks, you're, you're, you're an outcast because nobody wants to get what you've got. So you can understand this leper so desperate, so lonely, having nothing, being, being treated as the lowest of the lowest of the low. And he cries out to Jesus, God, Lord, if you're willing. Beautiful. If you're willing, heal me and make me clean. The Bible says, Jesus simply moved with compassion, says, I am. I'm willing. And instantly, that leper's healed. Nobody had ever seen this before. No one had ever experienced this before. But still, people would not repent. Still, people would not turn from their sin. And so I want to ask you a question today. What does God have to do to get your attention? What does God have to do to prove to you that he loves you, that he cares about you, that he's on your side? What does God have to do to prove that he's real? I stopped and did a bit of an inventory of my own life, looking back over the years, thinking and recognizing how good God has been and the miracles that he's done in my life. I think of being just eight years old and sent to to the boys' program at Calvary Temple, hearing hearing the simple gospel message, knowing that I needed Jesus, and at eight years of age, turning my life over to Christ. I don't know what you call that. I call that a miracle, a miracle of new life. I experienced as a young boy, you've heard me tell this before, as a young boy, I felt the burden of sin lifted from my shoulders, knowing that I had been born again, that someday I would be with Jesus. That, to me, is the greatest miracle of all. If that were not enough, I go to camp, and the preacher says, anybody here want more of God? And I, didn't, I wasn't waiting for anybody. I didn't care what anybody else wanted. I knew what I wanted. I wanted more of God. Made a beeline for the front of the chapel, knelt down in the front, and God filled me with his Holy Spirit. And I was alone with God. 
I'm sure, I felt like hours. I don't know how long I was there, but I was just alone in the presence of God, experiencing communi- communing with God in a most powerful and, I must say, miraculous way. God had my attention, I can tell you. God had my attention. And then God gave me the joy, the privilege of being called into ministry. I said, God, there's nothing on this earth that I want more than to serve you all the days of my life. I said, God, if you're willing to choose me, if you're willing to call me to be your servant, I'll do it. That's all I wanted to do anyway. And again, at camp, I felt, I felt the assurance, the calling of God. Alan, you are, you are picked. You're picked for service. Folks, I felt like I'd won the jackpot. I'd won, I'd won the lottery. I call that miraculous. And then when I was in ministry, got to about age 24, 25, and I said, okay, this is, this is enough. I don't want to do this alone anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't want to be in the ministry alone. And I said, God, I, I need a wife, and um, it would be nice if it was soon. <laughs> and so I said, God, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And I said, God, I'm going to take a weekend, and I'm going to just pray, I'm going to be on my knees, I'm going to fast, I'm just shutting my, I shut the curtains in my apartment, and I said, God, I'm just staying here until you speak to me and show me what you want. Because how many know that a pastor can't very well be dating all the girls in the church? Hello? <laughs> it just, just wouldn't look right, just wouldn't be right. And so I got on my knees to pray, ready to lock in there for, for three, for the whole weekend. And I'm going to tell you, within just I was going to say minutes, but it's more like seconds. Within, within seconds, I was knelt down. I, my Bible was there. I was ready to just listen to the Spirit, whatever he wanted me to do, whatever chapter, verse in the Bible he wanted me to go to to get direction. I was already, I, 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 was, I was positioned. I was ready to meet with God. Within seconds, Gloria's face came to my mind. Mm. And I knew this is the one for me. So I got up and I, I got on with my day. That was the end of my, my three days of prayer and fasting. God spoke and it wasn't long before we had this rich, rich relationship. She became my very best friend. Went to the mission field for a year and while I was there, just after about six months, I phoned and proposed from Greece. I said... Will you marry me? And then I didn't hear anything from her for a while because I think she dropped the phone and was screaming and dancing around at the other end. Uh, the reason I said it because I was on my end. <laughs> she said yes. What must God do to get your attention? Have you thought about how good God has been to you? He brought people into my life to love me and care for me. Think of Marilyn Wedlake, just a 16-year-old boy who had the call of God in his life, and she started investing in my life. And I could go on about that. He called me to be a youth pastor, gave me uncommon strength, uncommon grace, uncommon anointing. So over 30 kids go to Bible school. Became a missionary to Greece and then came to Cross Church and said, God, what do you want me to do in this community? Many people, many of my, many of my 
colleagues my age said, what are you going to Weston for? You don't want to go to a poor community. Go to the richer communities. That's where the money is, and that's where you're going to have a flourishing ministry. How many know, just in case you're wondering, where do you think Jesus would live if he lived in this city? He would not be living on the south end, I'm sorry. No offense to those who live on the south end of the city. He would be living probably the north end, maybe somewhere around Higgins. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that when Jesus stood up in the synagogue to proclaim himself, he said, I've come to preach the good news to the poor. And so that's what I did, and I felt God's blessing. And when we needed money to, to get this building, safe, we asked Safeway to give us $400,000 so we could buy their building from them, and they said yes. Miracles, people, miracles. What does God have to do to get your attention? To prove to you that he loves you, he cares for you, that he's in your corner. What does he need to do? My children love God. My children are faithful, serving in church every Sunday. Nicholas and Sarah are teaching Sunday school. Jesse up here playing the bass guitar. And I watch and I listen and I say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the miracles of your grace and your help and strength. When's the last time you said thank you, God, for the wonderful things you've done in my life? My mother attends this church, and my brother attends this church, and my sister attends this church, and my nieces and my nephews. And I just, I marvel at God's mercy and grace and the miracle of not just having a, a loving church family, but a loving, immediate family that partners with me. It's miraculous to me. You say, Pastor, what about something a little bit more concrete? Well, if that's not concrete enough for you, I don't know what is. But for those of you who still have doubts, just before going to Burundi, not having enough money for the ministry, and not wanting to be a burden to this church, and wanting to live by the same standards that we set for everybody else, wanting to raise my finances as well, I took it to God in prayer, and someone gave me a check for $5,000. Doesn't even go to this church. Here it is. This is for your trip. What does God have to do to get your attention? The people in Capernaum, they saw the miracles, demons cast out. Everybody knows Jesus, the most phenomenal preacher and teacher. People couldn't get enough listening to him. But the problem is, is that they refused to repent. They refuse to turn from their wicked ways. They refuse to turn to the God who truly loves them. What miracles has God done in your life? What miracles have you been taken for granted? How many times have you prayed? This is something everybody's familiar with. How many times have you prayed like this? Dear God, if you will just answer this prayer. Anybody prayed like that? If you'll just answer this prayer, then I will do this. God, if you just hear my prayer this time, if you just get me out of this tight spot, then I promise God, I will do, I will be. Some of you have been in trouble with the law and 
You cried out to God, you were scared silly, and you said, God, if only you'll help me get through this, I promise I will be faithful in going to church. I promise I'll get involved. I promise God I'll serve you. I promise God. Some of you have been without a job, and you cried out to God, and you said, God, if only you'll help me get a job, and God helps you get a job, and you don't know it. Which reminds me of the lady going to the airport. She says, God, i got to catch this plane. I need a spot right near the front door. She drives in and she finds a spot near the front door and she says, God, it's okay, I found one on my own. <laughs> Is that you? You figure you got it all sorted out, you've done it all on your own, you know what you're doing. God, I don't really need your help right now. Religion is for weak people. It's a crutch. We don't really need God. I can sort life out on my own. Are you sure? Are you sure? Struggled with an addiction and you prayed and God came through for you. You had trouble in your marriage. You cried out to God and God came through. You were sick and you said, God, touch my body, heal me. God came through for you. You felt lonely. You wanted to immigrate to Canada. You wanted to come to the land of the rich and the plenty. You wanted to start a business. God showed up and he answered your prayer and he helped you and he helped you and he helped you. The problem is, is you took it for granted. And rather than recognizing the love and the mercy of God, rather than letting God speak to your heart and to show you how much he really loves you, you forgot about him. And you said, God, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'll let you know if I need your help. And so many people have this idea that this is who God is. He's a, he's a vending machine. Pop your prayer in, push the lever, push the buttons, and up comes the answer to prayer. How many know today that God is not a vending machine? He's not a cosmic bellhop that's ready to run and do whatever you do or whatever you want every time you ring the bell. God is not a genie in a magic bottle. Rub the bottle and the genie pops out and gives you what you want. That's not my God. And the people of Capernaum, they thought that's who God is. Just running around doing miracles and making everybody happy. And so many people in North America have that view of Christianity, that God is some kind of a party convener. He's going to make everything happy and everybody's going to smile and everything's going to be joyful and cheerful and that's what God's purpose is. But now I'm going to tell you in my closing moments, I'm going to tell you who God is. And I'm going to tell you what God wants from you today. You know, if I ask that question, what does God want from us? I can tell you this. Most people could not answer this question. And what's even more shocking is that if I ask most Christians, what does God really want from us? they would not be able to answer that question. Now, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot this morning. I'm not going to call anybody up here and say, uh, tell me, what do you think God wants of us? Because I would guess that probably most people could not answer that question. Well, here's what God wants. To start, he wants you to repent. He wants you to turn away from your old lifestyle, and he wants you to turn to him. That's, that's what God wants. That's the starting point. He wants you to repent of your sins and turn to God. The question is this, why? Why does God want you to turn from your sin? Why does he want you to repent? Why does God even care? God, just let me do my thing. You do your thing. Keep the world spinning. Keep the 
keep the comets away, <laughs> keep the meteorites even further away, just keep everything going, God, and, you know, we'll just have a good, a kind, and happy regard for one another. Why does God want you to repent and turn from your sin? I'll tell you why. For one reason. And if you don't understand this, and you're not going to understand your Bible. You're going to pick up your Bible, and you're not going to understand what it says from Genesis to Revelation. In order for you to understand what the Bible says, what, what God wants from you, from Genesis to Revelation, you need to be able to answer this question. What does God want from you? It's this. He wants relationship with you. Did you know that? That is the sum total of this Bible. It's about how to restore relationship between God and his people. It's God wanting us to return to Eden. Anybody ever heard of the Garden of Eden? Here's how Genesis chapter 3 describes the relationship between God and Adam and Eve. Listen to this. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. That's the way it was. God came and he walked amongst his people. They had relationship. Now listen to me. This is why God created you. You are on this earth today because God wants a relationship with you. He said, well, what does God want a relationship with me for? You've got to get this, folks. Listen, God describes himself as love. That's the essence of his being, love. And in order for God to be God, he needs people to love. And he wants relationship with you. And some of you, you've enjoyed relationship with God at various times in your life, but maybe today it's, you would say, you know, Pastor, it's been a long time since I have enjoyed my walk with God. Well, here's what God's saying to you today by his spirit. He's saying, repent. Change directions. Turn from your backsliding. Turn from your sin and come back to me. Return to me, says the Lord. The man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. And it, listen, listen to this. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Why would they hide from God? Why would they hide from the one who created the Garden of Eden and said, this is all yours. Eat whatever you want. Go wherever you want. Do whatever you want. Enjoy it all. I've made it for you because I love you. The Spirit of God is saying that to us today. I love you. I want relationship with you. But they hid. Some of you have been hiding from God. It's been a long time since you've been in the presence of the Lord. You're here because someone dragged you here. You're here because you have to be here. You're here because it would look bad if you didn't come to church. But they hid. And then verse 9, it says, Then the Lord God called to the man and said this. Ready? Where are you? And the Spirit of God is here this morning, and he's saying exactly the same words to you. Where are you? Why are you hiding? Why haven't you come to me? You heard me coming. Why did you run? I've shown you such love. I've given so much to you. I've done so much for you. Where are you? Why are you hiding? 
And I'll tell you why they're hiding. Because of sin. Because they didn't believe God and they didn't do what God says. Are you hiding? When's the last time you enjoyed a time in the presence of Almighty God? That's what you're created for. You're created to walk with him and to know him and to love him. Glory and I will be married 24 years tomorrow. What kind of a marriage would you call our marriage if I said to her, Gloria, when we got married, I'll talk to you once a year. In the meantime, just know that I love you and care about you. Would you call that a relationship? Obviously not. Yet how many of us here treat God that way? You never read your Bible. You never pray. You never spend time in the presence of Almighty God. You never allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. You refuse to repent and turn from your backsliding. That's not a relationship, people. You cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. You cannot call yourself a Christian. You cannot say you are in relationship with God if you're not walking with him and talking with him every day. Why, where are you? I'm going to tell you, anybody who hides from God or hides from church is somebody who's struggling with sin. I've been at this for 30 years. I can see it a mile away. By the way, I'm not judging or condemning. I'm just telling you, I, I know what it is. I can see it. And God this morning, in his mercy and his grace, is reaching out to you, and he's calling you back into relationship with him. God's asking a question. Where are you? I'm asking a question. What must God do to prove himself to you? And maybe you're asking a question today. What does God want of me? God says, where are you? I ask, what, what will it take? And God says, and, and you're asking, what, what, what do I need to do? Well, Israel was going through a real hard time in their history. And uh, they're really struggling. Now, how many know that sometimes God allows us to go through some struggles in order to get our attention? If the blessings don't, don't help us, if the miracles don't get our attention, then sometimes God allows us to go through some, a rough spell. Anybody been through a rough spell? I know I have. And I can tell you, when I go through a rough spell, God's got my attention real quick. Israel's going through a rough spell. And the children of Israel, in Micah, Chapter 6, they ask the question, they ask the very question, what does God want of us? What does God want from me? What does God really want from me? They ask, what can we bring to the Lord? What kind of offering should we give God? What can we do to appease him to get him off our backs? What can we do to get God to give us what we want and, and to let life go on happily? Should we bow before God with offerings of yearling calves? Should we sacrifice to him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? What does God want? I'm going to tell you right now, God is not interested in thousands of rams being sacrificed, and he doesn't even want your firstborn child. Micah 6, 8 says, no, O people, no. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. Do what is right, love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. That's what God wants of you. That's what God wants of me. 
to do what is right, which means to repent, to turn from your sin, to love mercy, to understand how much you need God's help in your life, because I'm going to tell you, we are a proud, proud people in North America. I invite you to come with me to Burundi and find out for yourself what happens when people do not have God. These people in Burundi that we're bringing the good news of Jesus to, the ones who have turned their hearts over to Christ, you can see it change in their lives. I'm going to tell you, when you love the mercy of God, God does miracles in your life. And to walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants. God says, where are you? I say, what will it take? You ask, what does God want? And here's the answer. Do what is right. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. Even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. Because you have experienced God's blessing, especially in this nation. You've experienced God's mercy. You've experienced his love. You've experienced his grace. And God says, what will it take? Could you stand with me, please? Father, this morning, as we prepare to go into the fall, we have been on vacation mode, and maybe it's been a while since we've really spent time in your presence. But the Spirit of God has been speaking to us this morning, and he has shown us that it's time. It's time to make things right. It's time to repent from our backsliding and from our sin. It's time to return to you, O God. Father, thank you this morning that you love us and you give us so many opportunities to make things right. We know today, God, from your word that the only thing that you want is to enjoy a loving, rich, and vibrant relationship with your children. And so this morning, oh God, we stand before you and we say, Lord Jesus, touch us afresh. Forgive us our sin. God, by your spirit, help us to walk with you again with the joy of the Lord, with a peace that comes from relationship with you. God, may we be quick to admit that nothing in this world can satisfy the longings of our heart. We need you, oh God. Well, everyone's eyes are closed, your heads are bowed. This morning, if you just want to touch from God, I just invite you right now, lift your hand to the Lord and say, God, I want a fresh start with you. I want to experience you afresh. Yes, yes. Lord, you see our hearts today. You see the longings of our heart. We want more of you. We want a fresh touch from you. We want to experience the joy that comes from walking with you. Lord, as we go from here now, we pray that you would go with us, give us joy, and give us a sense of your presence. And we pray this for Christ's sake. And everyone said it? 
Tell the person beside you, walk humbly with your God.